Welcome to the Unconventional Leadership Podcast, a weekly podcast where we dive into the latest leadership news, tips, and strategies. I'm your host, Mike Sipple Jr., co-founder and the CEO of the Talent Magnet Institute, best-selling author, speaker, and podcaster. The Unconventional Leadership Podcast boldly tackles the top-of-mind issues leaders face daily. Through insightful interviews with experts from various industries and backgrounds, we unpack the skills, traits, and mindsets crucial for effective leadership in today's world. Whether you're a seasoned leader seeking to stay ahead of the curve or aspiring to develop the skills and insights to succeed, the Unconventional Leadership Podcast has something for you. Join us each week as we challenge the status quo and explore what it means to be an unconventional leader. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us in this episode. And I'm extremely excited today to welcome a guest on, Julie Turney. Uh, Julie is a heart-centric people experience architect with over 16 years of experience in the HR profession. And I know how many amazing HR leaders are a part of this community. So I'm very excited to share this discussion with you all today and create dialogue. Julie's the brainchild of HR at Heart Consulting, a coaching firm that she describes as the HR safe place. Julie created her firm as part of her own healing process through a second bout of HR burnout. Um, so I'm sure some of you can relate. Some of you have lived those experiences. Today, Julie supports fellow HR professionals from around the globe who are struggling with burnout, compassion, fatigue, and frustration in their HR careers to get back on track and regain the lost joy of their HR experience. Julie's also a TEDx and public speaker, author of a book, Confessions of an HR Pro, Stories of Defeat and Triumph, host of the HR Sound Off podcast, and lead organizer of Disrupt HR Caribbean for Barbados, Jamaica, and Trinidad. Julie is on a mission to raise awareness around poor mental health in HR while demystifying the many misconceptions that people have about the beloved profession and all of the amazing humans in it. Julie, thank you so much for joining us today. So, so Julie, with everything we just unpacked, I've had the great privilege of getting to know you over the last several years now. Um, you switched from an HR career practicing core HR into coaching and supporting HR professionals. Um, can you describe why you made that switch? Yes, I can try. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I did it because I felt it was something that was needed based on conversations that I was having with other HR professionals, especially during the pandemic. But, you know, there are just those moments in your HR career where I know for me personally, I've asked myself, like, where is the HR for HR? You know, whether it was dealing with a leader who I wasn't able to get on alignment with or whether it was a deaf in service and just dealing with that or, you know, the trauma that comes with dealing with a difficult termination. And sometimes at the end of those things, I would ask myself, like, where is the HR for HR? Because I'm just struggling with this. And so 
three years prior to the pandemic, I started my coaching practice. And it was basically an experiment to see how people in the HR space would feel about the service. And people loved it. And then it just became more apparent during the pandemic that it was something that was definitely needed. And so six years later, here I am yeah. today. Well, why, what is your, from the six years of experience and your own lived experience prior to uh, starting this practice, what are some of the key reasons why you believe HR professionals get burned out or live in the burnout? Oh, so for HR, for us as HR professionals, it's very hard for us to number one, say no. Um, we're always trying to figure stuff out. Um, we get left alone a lot of times to figure stuff out. And because we have this inability to say no and just to continue to take on load, and sometimes you'll find in organizations, have you ever heard of the organizational black hole? Like the stuff where they're not quite sure where it goes, and so they just shove it over to HR. And it's like, oh, let HR figure it out. And a lot of times, because we're dealing with all of those different things, and because we're not taking the time to pause and take care of our own emotions and feelings, we end up in this cycle of burnout. We move from one thing to the next constantly, and we're just like, okay, on to the next thing, on to the next thing, but we don't process. And as a result of that, we start to experience this thing called burnout. And because we don't take the time to heal from it, we continue to repeat this cycle of burnout. It becomes ongoing. And then a lot of the stories that that I hear that you can see in the comments, especially on my LinkedIn, um, of HR professionals who have ended up in the emergency room with heart palpitations, feeling like they were having heart attacks or strokes, um, when really what they're experiencing are the very big symptoms of, of burnout. And so that's why I got into this space, because someone needs to stop us. And I think the best person to do that is one of us. So I'm here for that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, you know, the, that your heart is in it. It's awesome. It's terrible that people are living in that experience. But we can all, whatever function we've been in, individuals have it, right? That, that the, the science of burnout, fatigue, decision-making fatigue, emotional fatigue is real. Is that fair to say in your assessment? Yes, it definitely is very real. So we know that burnout is something that happens as a result of extended stress over a long period of time. But before we get to the burnout, we do experience the things like compassion fatigue, which is compassion is something that is definitely needed in HR. But when you find HR professionals get to the point where they're like, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I don't care. Let them go and make the mistake because why, why do I even bother? You know, and they just struggle to take on other people's problems and situations because they are experiencing the compassion fatigue. Then there's the trauma because whether people want to hear it or not, you know, HR professionals are one of the most highly abused professions in the corporate space. We take a lot from employees and we take a lot from leaders and managers. So when I ask HR professionals things like, like what's some of the things that you experience in your job? I know what I've experienced. I hear people talk about being spat on. 
I hear people talk about having things thrown off their desk. I hear about people receiving death threats. I hear about people having their cars keyed, their tires flattened. So there's a, we are very abused. And a lot of times we're, we're just a messenger of something that's happening from a corporate space. And then with that then comes corporate shame, because a lot of times we know that a situation could have been saved. We've probably made the recommendations. Leaders just don't want to hear it. And then we end up being the brunt um, or getting the brunt of how people are thinking and feeling as a result of their experience with us um, delivering the news that we've just been asked to deliver. And so when you have all of those things coupled together, HR people really do need the support. They do need the help. Wow. I would love for those listening to share, like if you were in this moment that you're hearing Julie describe, the examples, Julie, that you're providing are so profound because we've heard them too, right? Of people who have dealt with this. What was the moment where you, the listening audience, our community knew it was time, like knew I officially need to make a change. I have to ask for help. I can no longer do this on my own. Or what are you living right now that you're looking for some level of support and affirmation that it's not just you, that it is a decision you need to make to take care of yourself? I mean, I know, Julie, I was on the phone with a couple of different leaders over the last just few months um, that were sharing some of the challenges that they're going through and the decisions they're about to make. Um, because it's time, right? I, I know it's time. And one of the things that I encourage individuals to say is when you make that um, affirmation and you make that decision, what you will find is people will actually be kind of almost feel a level of um, appreciation that you're the one that stood up and said, I can't take it anymore, right? Or I need to take care of me. I need to take, you know, some medical leave. I need to take some personal leave. I need to go ahead and transition out of the role. Um, but one of the things I want to come back to is how can leaders, if I go, gosh, there'd be no one in my organization that would feel the way that Julie's describing. You and I both know, Julie, that's probably not the case. There probably are people in every organization that are struggling at a variety of different uh, roles, levels, functions. What can I do as a leader to better support both the HR function as well as identify who might be struggling throughout my organization? Yeah, that's a good question, Mike. I think communication is key and really taking the time to have those conversations with your HR teams is really important um, to then determine what are their struggles and what do they need and be, be intentional about it, be sincere about it. Um, because then they will open up and they will let you know what they need. A lot of times HR people don't go to their leaders because as HR, we think that we are the ones that have to be strong. We can't be complaining about, you know, what we're thinking and feeling and the frustrations we're having in the role because it will be taken as weakness. And then maybe they'll think, okay, we're not built for this role. And so a lot of HR people internalize again, internalizing and compressing your feelings will lead to an eventual blowout. And so as leaders, if you can preempt that by having, you know, one-on-one -on -one chats with your HR people 
and find out what's going on, then that would be helpful. I think trying to do that on a quarterly basis, because I know as leaders, you're busy. But if you take that time, at least on a quarterly basis to have those conversations, I think it would be very helpful. And the same thing for managers too. I think all leaders could take the time, the same way that HR is taking the time to understand you, understand the needs of the business, to provide you with the products and services that you need. I think leaders also need to take the time to do the reverse for their HR people. And a lot of times they don't. Yeah. It almost gets glanced over because they're the ones supposed to be supporting everyone else and who's supporting them, right? Exactly. Yeah. Where's the HR of HR? Yeah. How how do, um, you you mentioned the compassion fatigue and we need, you know, we want individuals that aren't, you know, negative towards life that are bringing compassion to the workplace, that are asking the hard questions, the you know, the difficult that no one else really is in a place where they feel comfortable asking the questions. But we, you know, how do you protect the heart while leading with the heart? That is such a good question. To protect your heart is to process, right? After every event that you experience um, in your day, whether it's a difficult conversation or a courageous conversation, whether it's trying to integrate a new software or whatever it is, take the time to process that you did that. So one of the things that I always recommend to people is like, number one, create a gratitude jar for yourself so that when good things happen, when you're feeling at your lowest, you can always go back to that gratitude jar and just look at something that reminds you, this is the good stuff that I'm doing. And then the other thing I recommend is like journaling. Um, and just getting out or doing like a brain dump and just getting out all of the stuff that's happened for the day in your mind. And then what I what I say after that is think to yourself, after you've taken this, written this down, what do I want to take into tomorrow that is positive, that's constructive, that's going to build me up tomorrow? And what do I want to leave tonight so that when I shut my eyes and I fall asleep, this does not follow me back into tomorrow. So you dump it on a piece of paper. Those are the things that I highly recommend to protect your heart. The other thing too I would say is make sure that when you're trying to help people, you are actually in a position to help people. So sometimes as HR, and I have to say this all the time, we are not therapists, but we do have access to benefits that include therapy that we can point employees to. And so when you recognize that the problem that someone is bringing to you is more than you, be prepared to direct them to where they can get proper assistance and don't take it on for yourself. So in those moments, get that support that you need as well. Go to therapy, have a therapy session, have a very good therapist that you can dump things on and that you can talk to and work things through with. And the other thing I would recommend is getting a coach if you can, Um, because I think having someone holding you accountable to being able to protect your heart is key. A coach can help you when you set those goals of, I want to protect my heart. How do you do that? Well, let's try to think about all the things that impact your heart on a daily basis. And then Let me help you to find practical ways to either move people forward that doesn't impact your heart um, and then help you to 
give people the love and the attention and the compassion that they deserve with a good heart. So those are the things that I, I, I highlight. Julie, it's so good. I mean, so much of that is being, you know, the mindfulness, right? And taking the time and scheduling the time to give yourself the time to do those reflections each and every day. I love the, what will I take with me tomorrow and what will I leave behind? What a great practice uh, for all of us to do. Is there, is there a time, uh, Julie, where you were not doing that? And, and did you reach a moment where you got a coach or got support from the outside counseling, what have you, that helped adjust that? Was there a mentor that guided you down this path? Um, can you give us just what was actually going on in your life that helped guide you to this, this type of solidarity and direction for others? Sure. So I was not practicing these things maybe for the first seven to eight years of my HR career and in hindsight I wish I had known what you know it's like if I'd known then what I know now I would have done things differently um so yeah about seven to eight years into my HR career I was not doing any of those things for myself and that's when I reached my first bout of burnout but it was during my second bout of burnout which is when I started regularly trying to find practical ways to take care of myself and help other HR professionals to do the same. And that's when I embrace therapy. And I say embrace because a lot of times, especially in, in the African-American culture, and I live in the Caribbean, I'm in the Caribbean, especially, um, especially where I'm from. So I'm from Barbados and in Barbados, it is considered that if you go to a therapist, you're going because you're mad, you're, you're crazy, right? That's not the truth, but that, that's the stigma that is set with it. And it is a stigma that is set with it predominantly in the African-American culture, that if you go to therapy, you must be crazy. And especially here in the Caribbean, that's how it's thought of. So therapy is not embraced as much in the Caribbean. And... So for the first part, I struggled with it because I was like, I'm not crazy. I just know that I need, I need some kind of help, some kind of support. But it was um, one of my dear friends, Tracy Sponenberg, who I was sitting down talking to her one day and I was explaining to her like what I was going through. And she was sharing, you know, well, maybe therapy is not such a bad thing. And so after having that conversation with her, I was like, okay, I'm going to explore this. And I did. And I was like, oh, wow, this makes a huge difference. And so I go to therapy at least once a month now. But initially when I started, I saw my therapist probably every week for about the first year. And then also being introduced to the Calm app, that helped me a lot. So practicing mindfulness is something that is part of my regular routine. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the ability to be able to practice mindfulness on a daily basis. Just take those couple of moments to ground myself and, and get myself into gear. And I've always loved journaling. I've, I've had journals all my life from maybe about the age of 10, 11. Um, and funny enough, my mom introduced me to journaling. Um, as something that I could use as a vehicle that I could use to express myself um, and it really helped me a lot with my ADHD 
because my brain never switches off and I find that when I dump things out it slows my brain down a bit and I don't have so many things on my mind all at once so I'm grateful to my mom for that um, so I've been journaling since I was 10 um, but therapy and mindfulness came into my life very late in my HR career but I'm grateful that I have those vehicles now wow wow so good I mean we talk about examples and people living with intention and people focusing on typically life lessons things that we all learn that we wish we knew that we want to help others see differently and you just described a great example where Tracy Sponningberg you know shared with you some of her encouragement that gave you the feeling like you know what I'm gonna do this and she believes in me she doesn't think I'm you know you've mentioned earlier crazy like this could do this to support you and um, you know those of us who are um, uh, connected to Tracy know how important her journey has been with mental health and supporting herself and others well right which is intentional leadership Julie the work you're doing is focusing on what some would view as unconventional topics that you and I both believe these are the important topics that we need to address that we need to talk about more and support one another um, from the lived experiences and all of the countless thousands of people at this point that you've interacted with that say, oh, golly, I needed this earlier in my career, but I'm sure glad I have it now, right? Um, Julie, can you share one thing about your leadership style that has evolved to shape who you are today as a leader? So when I first entered the leadership space, I think one of the things that really stuck for me was thinking about what other people thought of my leadership style. Um, I don't care about that now. <laughs> my leadership style is my leadership style. Whether people think it's crazy eccentric, whether people think that it's um, weird, it is my leadership style. And as long as my team are happy, that's the most important thing. But previously, I would have thought more about how other leaders felt about how I led my team. Um, I'm more concerned now about the people that I lead and the outcomes that we derive from the work that we do versus what other people in my space or other colleagues above me or on the same level as me would think. Wow. So part of that is confidence, gaining conf belief in yourself, belief and confidence that with the way you're leading is the right way for you to lead and only you can determine that correct correct um what do you feel makes a or how would you define let's start there how would you define when you hear unconventional leader um how do you define what an unconventional leader is in today's world i think the basic definition for me would be if you're an unconventional leader, you're not doing the normal things that most people do when it comes to leadership, right? You're doing, you're looking constantly, looking for ways to lead in a way that is inspiring and also in a way that is meaningful, not just for you, but for the people that you lead. So if you're an unconventional leader who focuses specifically on the people that you lead, I can see where that would be unconventional versus you thinking about, how you progress your career as a leader and how you influence 
the people above you. Um, for me, leadership is about the people I'm leading. And for me, leadership is also about servitude. The higher I climb as a leader, the more I serve the people below me. So that's for me is what unconventional leadership is about. Understanding that the higher I climb to lead, I serve. And understanding that the people I serve are who matter the most. And what is the best piece of leadership advice that you've received? I know we've touched on a couple of key uh, points today already on this, but can you share what's the best piece of leadership advice that you've received that you can leave with our community? I would say the best leadership advice that I ever received is a good one. So many. The comeback is stronger than the setback. Every leader fails at some point in time, but it's focusing on the comeback and not the setback. And the best leaders share and embrace that they fail and also share that they fail. So I'm not afraid to let my team know when I've messed up. I'm not afraid to let my team know what my failures are, how I've learned from those failures. So I don't just revel in the fact that I suck. <laughs> um, I failed. It was a bad experience. It made me feel bad. But this is what I learned from it. And those are the things that I share with my team. Um, so I'm not afraid to share those things. So for me, I think that's the best advice that I ever got was that the comeback is stronger than the setback. Wow. Wow. Do you, you mentioned with mindfulness and journaling, do you find yourself like reflecting on that? I can think of scenarios where it's like, okay, that was, I did not do that well. I did not lead through that situation well. I didn't respond fast enough. I allowed these behaviors to take place. I should have done, I should have spoken up in the moment and I didn't. And now I'm, you know, wrestling with that as a leader and why didn't I? And I'm, you know, do you find yourself journaling those experiences and making note of, all right, the comeback is the learning of that, you know, how I got knocked down, how I stand back up is most important. Correct. Yes, definitely journaling helps to be able to, I believe in sitting in your feelings. So my, my therapist talks all the time about this. Did you sit in the feeling? How did it make you feel? And he would always say to me, Julie, now remember, remember how this moment made you feel. Because if you remember how it made you feel, that you're going to be less inclined to visit that space more often. So I focus a lot on sitting in the feeling. So yes, when I journal it, I then sit in it and just think about it. I'll read it over and just sit in it to understand it, to embrace it, that it is what it is. But this is what I learned from it. And now let's start the comeback. So yes, definitely helps a lot. Awesome. Awesome. Julie, one of the things that our community is doing is in advancing their leadership and utilizing tools, technology, trainings, you know, books, development, discuss leadership discussion cards to elevate their own leadership. Do you have a favorite book or favorite tool right now that you feel like is enhancing your leadership and those of others? That's so funny that you said that. Um, I actually use, this is my one of my favorite tools to use. It's a deck of cards from a company in the UK called Imaginosity. And these cards are called Cognitized. And it's about 
um, 52 cards of limitless learning. But basically these cards um, feature different aspects of how we can engage our teams. So they have um, cards to engage, cards to engage. They have cards to ignite your team. They have cards to connect. They have cards to enable, and they have cards to empower your teams. And so um, sometimes what I'll do is I'll go through these cards. Um, sometimes I, I'll have the team and we'll go through them together. I use them when I'm doing leadership trainings as well. But what I love about these cards, and I mean, can I give you an example? Okay, so one of my favorite cards is in the engaged space is this one, which is called Listen Without Judgment. And it says, quiet, quiet, quiet in your mind and listen with the other person's frame of reference. Try to use the following approach. Listen, summarize, follow up. So it's a way of helping you to embrace active listening. And all of these cards do the same thing. How do you ignite your people? Um, and you can give these cards to different team members, leave them on their desk. Um, if you're working remotely, you can scan it and email it to them. And I love how these embrace, help you to embrace your leadership style, but also how they help you to get your team members to open up a bit more. So these are one of my favorite tools to use with um, cards from Cognitize. I love it. I love it. We will absolutely provide a link in the show notes for those cards. Thank you so much for sharing. These are the the tools that help all of us lead with more intention. I mean, I love the fact that, you know, there's a discussion card that you can leverage one of those cards for all of your interactions this week. You know, we have leadership discussion cards here at TMI. We have inside of our digital platform, this whole Tell Me TMI section and prompts and ways to utilize those prompts with your own teams. Um, I think the power of conversation is so good, right? Can change an entire trajectory of your team and change the attitude and the way people approach each other in the workplace. So. Thank you so much for sharing those. One of the questions we love to ask guests is, who do you think, Julie, uh, that we might want to invite to be on a next podcast episode here at uh, Unconventional Leadership? Oh, I have so many people. Uh, one of my favorite people is Kalila Alokanola. Um, and she she is she was a chief people officer, um, but she's now ventured on her own but she's doing some really amazing things in the HR space as a leader of our own business, as a leader of other people. Um, and I think she has an amazing story to share. So definitely Kalila. And the other person I would highly recommend is Brian Bashan from Evolution Evolution. Um, again, another very heart-centric leader, very passionate about people and seeing people grow and thrive and just having conversations with Brian always feels very spiritual. Um, but he's such an amazing person and definitely would be one of my people that I think we should have on the show. That is awesome. I might be reaching out to get an introduction to the two of them. Um, so we can extend an invite uh, out. Julie, thank you so much uh, for leading with heart. Thank you so much for creating a space 
um, that's safe for others to lean into, to be encouraged, to take a step, take a next step with where they are today to help them get into a better heart and headspace uh, to lead well. Um, the exhaustion you mentioned um, is real, right? It's powerful and it's been accelerated in so many different ways over the last three to five years. So um, again, I appreciate you coming on to the Unconventional Leadership Podcast to share your insights, your love for others, your experiences. Um, I'm really just honored to call you friend. So Julie, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Mike. It's a pleasure always to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the Unconventional Leadership Podcast. We hope you gained valuable insights and inspiration from today's episode. We invite you to join us on this journey of exploration and discovery as we continue to uncover the unconventional approaches and strategies that are shaping the future of leadership. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Unconventional Leadership Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Being an unconventional leader means embracing new ideas and strategies to drive growth and innovation. So keep pushing the boundaries and challenging the status quo. And we'll see you next time on the Unconventional Leadership Podcast.